right, kids, you are dismissed to head on down. Find Molly there in the back. And uh, while the kids are heading out, um, I wanted to just do something that I hate to do, which is to give you a little bit of an announcement. Um, on the list of things that I hate to do, number one is do announcements. Um, but one of the things that you can tell is obvious from our church, especially today, is that we love kids and we do a lot for kids and uh, there's a lot going on. This week's going to be um, a big week of VBS and we're going to have a lot of kids in the building. Um, but there are a lot of things going on for everyone and one of the things that we have going on is uh, for men and just really quick, um, tonight is the second uh, class of our uh, uncanceled class. And so if you uh, don't have a, a, a study, a men's study, if you want to get involved in one tonight at 6.30, come and join us. Uh, we'll be in the Eden Room, which is this hallway at the end on the right. I'd love to see you. Um, Kevin Rickey's our leader for that. And uh, I don't know if we have a lot of extra books, so you may have to kind of sit through a week or two without a book, but I'd love to see you for that. But what I really wanted to talk to you about is Men's Rooted Conference, which is here uh, July 16th, just in a few weeks, and this week um, is kind of the deadline for registrations, at least for t-shirts. Okay, we got to get our t-shirt order in by the end of this week, so if you haven't registered yet, um, really want to encourage you to do that. Shane Black, who was our uh, revivalist from Life Action last time they were here, he's coming uh, all the way from Michigan to share with us. He's going to be our main speaker, and he's uh, excellent. We're so happy that he's going to come and do that for us. And then he's going to stay overnight and he's going to preach that Sunday on July 17th. So everybody will get a chance to hear him again on the 17th. Um, but we're going to have a couple of other mini sessions, one with Dan Pearson, uh, who is a Channel 6 uh, sports guy for years and years. Now he's uh, doing ministry with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we're going to have Michael O'Brien uh, he's going to do a mini session with us as well, and he's kind of a local, you know, hometown legend, uh, football legend, and then, but uh, just a fantastic Christian guy who, who's going to share with us as well. going to be a great day. So uh, what I know is that um, historically men are terrible at registering for things. <clears throat> so guys, um, just encourage you to register for that. It is going to be worth your time. If you can't stay the whole day, you only got a half a day, you can give. Um, come out for half of it. Come out for first half, second half, whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter, but we'd love to see you there. Um, and then I'm going to just ask um, our moms, our wives, our daughters, um, would you help some of these guys register? Because they either are just clueless or they don't want to, Okay. Uh, but but they need help. And if, if you don't have uh, uh, somebody's technology, you know, fancy in your household, then see Pam afterwards. She'll help you at the desk, okay? Uh, so that's coming up. Um, all right. So, again, like I said, I hate doing announcements, but I felt like I needed to do that. We're in uh, Acts chapter 9 again. I, I am so thankful I get another chance at this. Um, I, I'm always thinking that every week that I preach, I'm like, I'm glad I get another chance. 
because I never feel like I quite <laughs> get there, but um, God is gracious and good. And so what we're going to do, is we're going to talk about his conversion again. Now, here's the thing about Paul's conversion, and you have to understand, Paul's conversion is the uh, prototypical conversion story of anyone, okay? He was persecuting the church. It was his personal mission in life to destroy the church. He encounters Jesus, and then it is his mission, God-given mission in life, to build the church. That's a 180-degree turn from where he was headed to where he then was going in, in his life. That's conversion, okay? Every single person who is converted to Jesus Christ, who is a believer, who's a born-again Christian, who has the Holy Spirit, who's saved, okay, was converted in a 180-degree turn. They were going away from God. They were enemies of God. They were lost. They were in their sin. They were destined for hell. They encountered Jesus. Something changed. They received Christ. They received the Holy Spirit. And then their life is 180 degrees different. And now they're heading towards God in a relationship with him, towards heaven, in salvation. There's, there's something that has transferred, okay? It's not only that there's this like we talked about last week, this theological thing that happens that you're positionally saved, that God sees Christ in you when you receive Christ, but your life is now different. Now, here's the thing, is that something happens in this whole transformation, this, this uh, conversion story, which is that there is an element of spiritual insight that has to happen. Before we knew Christ, we were spiritually blind. After we know Christ and, and as we come to salvation, we become spiritually um, seeing, okay? We have spiritual vision. How does that happen? What was going on with Paul? Why was he spiritually blind? How did he become spiritually seeing? What's the process? Is there something we can learn from that? Is there something that can be applied across the board in understanding what spiritual blindness is and how you get spiritual sight. I believe that something about Paul's story tells us about, not just Paul's story, but all of Scripture tells us about what this whole thing is about, spiritual vision. You, if you know Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual vision. But you weren't born with it. It's not something that you're, you're just smarter than other people. It's not because you're better than somebody else. God gave it to you. How did that happen? Why did it happen? It's important for us to understand that, right? Because nobody can save themselves. Nobody can just say, I'm going to be spiritually seeing today. God has to do that. But we do have a part in how it works. And so let's see what God's word tells us about that and understand that a little bit better. So we're going to stand as we read God's word, as we always do. We're going to pick up the story towards the end, okay? We read the whole thing last week. We're just going to read... Uh, a few verses this week, Acts chapter 9, verses 17, 18, and a little bit of uh, 19. And it says this, so Ananias departed. Now, Ananias is the guy that God has called to go and to heal Saul. Uh, Ananias departed, entered the house where Saul was, laying his hands on him, on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight 
Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Father, we thank you for your word today as we uh, open our hearts, our minds, our souls to its truth. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work. Uh, we, uh, we've positioned ourselves right now to let you speak. We've, we've uh, positioned ourselves to hear from you. We've, we've uh, given a, a moment of our day to you to, to do what you want to do to say what you want to say, to have the impact that you want to have on our lives. And God, I'm just praying right now that your spirit would take this moment, um, say what you want to say. Uh, don't let me get in the way of it, Lord, that your word would do its work. You promised that your word would never return to you without doing its work. It would never return to you void. And so, Lord, we're praying that uh, that promise would uh, be fulfilled today in, in our midst, in our church, and in our presence, Lord, that uh, you would move among us, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, lay your hand on each and every one uh, according to your will and, and uh, call and, and invite us deeper into that relationship that you want us to be in with Christ. And Father, I pray that as many as you would save would be saved and as many as you would grow would grow and as many as you would convict would be convicted. Encourage, Lord, that you would do your work. And we're just ready for you to do that. And so um, help us. Help us to respond to you for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So one of the most famous illustrations of getting spiritual vision is exactly what it says here about Paul. It says immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And we always use that kind of language to talk about somebody who comes to faith, right? They, the scales fell from their eyes. They, they, they understood something they never understood before. There's something radically and dramatically and permanently changed in their life. The scales fell from their eyes. Now, we got to go back in the story a little bit to try to understand what Paul's situation really was, okay? Because uh, what it says earlier, and this is where I really, you know, settled in on last week was this whole issue in, in verse uh, 5 and 6. He says, um, Jesus is, is talking to Paul on the road to Damascus. Why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And there's something about that that is so important, okay? Something about the connection between Jesus and his church and his people that you can't be separated but there's something else going on with Paul, okay, because uh, he leaves out a very important, but it just isn't really in, in needed in that particular story, okay, at this time, but he leaves out a section, and he recounts it later, okay? He tells the complete story of his conversion two more times in the book of Acts. He tells it to the Jewish people when he's on trial before them, and he tells it to Agrippa, and uh, the, the Romans when he's on trial before them. And in that account, um, in Acts 26, it said, he's telling this story again, and he, he says um, in verse, uh, what, 14, he says, uh, again, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus says this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And 
How many of you right now, like as soon as I said that, you knew exactly what that meant? One, two, three, four. Okay. Here's the deal. That illustration would have been immediately illuminating to anyone in the first century. In fact, it had been immediately illuminating to anyone prior to about 100 years ago. They, everybody knew what that meant. It, it was an obvious thing. It was, it was a common thing. Okay? Before 100 years ago, before we were using cars and engines and tractors and things, we had to use animals to do everything, to pull carts, to pull our plows, to, to do our farming, to, to move things around. It was all done by ox, by horse, by donkey. Okay, these are the things. These are the beasts of burden that we are going to use to do everything that we got to do. And we didn't have, like what we have now, an accelerator. You want to go a little faster, then you just push down the accelerator back then. If you want to go a little faster, what do you do? You goad the animal with a pointy stick of some kind. You goad it along and it moves faster. When Jesus says to Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, what he is saying, like I said, was obvious to Paul, it's obvious to everybody up until 100 years ago, was that you are refusing, you are rebelling against authority to your own harm. Now, why that's important to bring that out? There are a lot of reasons, but one is this, that when we look at Paul, what, what we tend to see is a guy who was persecuting the church. We know he was heading in the wrong direction. He was, he was doing what was absolutely uh, a tragedy in, in God's will, okay, in God's kingdom. He was destroying the very people that Jesus died to save. And he's trying to destroy this institution that he is creating. But Paul thought that he was doing it in service to God. He thought he was doing what God wanted in one sense. That here's, he, he loves God. I believe that Paul was a guy who loved the Lord. Um, he wanted to serve God. He wanted to do everything in his power to be zealous for God. But Paul missed something. And this is what is kind of important for us to understand because we can miss things. Would you agree we can miss things? Paul was a, an expert in the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He was an expert in the law. He was an expert in the prophecy. He, was an ex he had things memorized. He had been a student of everything that was in Scripture. He was around when Jesus was around. I mean, when Paul was converted is shortly after the church had started. Paul was in the area. He was in the region. He saw, heard, understood who Jesus was. He had been around the church. He had seen the witness of Stephen. When you go back to uh, Acts chapter 6 and 7 and you understand all the things that it says about Stephen, he had the face of an angel, and he was mighty in power indeed, and he, nobody could refute his words. And, and the whole speech of what he did, uh, what he said about uh, what God had done throughout history and his trial and his execution, and when he saw heaven opened up and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, and then he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, and then they stoned him to death. Paul saw that, but Paul is the one 
who is recording and recounting everything that we know about Stephen. He told Luke, who wrote it down in the book of Acts. All those things Paul knew, he understood. He, I say he understood. He didn't really under, understand it, or at least he refused to understand it. Because Paul was blind to its truth, its reality, or its impact in his life. Now, there's something we got to understand about this blindness. Jesus talks about it. Um, he talks about the kinds of blindness that people can have. There are a couple of different kinds. One is, he says in Matthew chapter 6, he says in verse 22, this is the Sermon on the Mount, but he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, I want you to follow this, okay? And I want you to just see if this makes perfect sense to you immediately. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, then, the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, how many of you would like to take that, those verses and go have a Bible study with a group of your closest friends and explain to them exactly what that means? I, I'm just telling you this. I've read that, studied that, ta taught that for years over and over and over, and I've always come away not quite grasping what that means. I'm just admitting that to you. It's an area where I was like, I'm not sure what he's really talking about there. It just seems so enigmatic, isn't it? You know anybody? Are you with me? Nadine's with me. Anyway, it's simple. I didn't realize how simple it was. All he is saying is that there are people, now he's talking about spiritual blindness, but he's talking about the, the reality of blindness. There are people whose eyes do not work. They don't work. And no amount of light is ever going to make them work. So if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness means that you're totally blind. You're, you have a problem with your eyes. It's not about light. It's about your eyes. And so if you cannot see because your eyes don't work, then there's nothing that's going to change that except a miracle. And Jesus is willing to perform that miracle and give you spiritual sight. But here's a question, okay? No, I can't get there yet. Oh, I lost my spot. I know where it is, though. John chapter 9. Um, Jesus gives somebody their sight. You know this story? If you haven't read John chapter 9 in a while, go back and read it. I love that chapter. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Uh, but John chapter 9 is about Jesus giving a man his sight who was born blind. Okay, The very outworking of the illustration that he had given in the Sermon on the Mount is John chapter 9. This man, born blind, has never seen a thing in his life. Jesus gives him his sight. And then, because it's a Sabbath, uh, the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers and the, the court system... They have a problem with the, what Jesus did because he healed on the Sabbath and the way he healed him. And so they bring this guy into court and they just grill him about how he got a sight and, 
and whether or not Jesus really could be a good person or not, because if he was a good person, a good Jewish person, he would never heal on the Sabbath. And the guy just says, you know what? I don't know uh, about all that. All I know is that I was blind. Now I see. And whoever did that has got to be a person from God, because an ungodly person, a sinful person cannot do that. And he's beginning to kind of get into this back and forth, and they kick him out. And they actually kick him out of the synagogue, which means they excommunicated him from worship because he dared to say that I believe Jesus is a good person. He didn't even say he was God. He just said, I think he's got to be a godly man. And so Jesus, after this whole thing happens, finds the guy out on the street, and he begins to talk to him. And he says, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? And uh, he says, uh, he answers, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him. <laughs> wonder why that is. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, those who see may become blind. Okay. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And I think a few people are like, hmm, I get that. But most of us are like, what does that mean? Here's what I believe he's talking about. The man born blind needed a supernatural healing. But he had to admit that he was blind. The Pharisees are not going to admit that they need healing. I'll give you a little illustration. Did you know we had taxidermy chickens around here? I think these are real feathers, but um, the rest of it's fake. But there are three options, okay? Uh, Stephen, would you join me up here for a moment? This is just for fun's sake. Okay, Stephen, pretend you're a blind person. However you do that. Okay, so I'm a seeing person. Stephen's a blind person. We're both looking in the direction of this chicken. We have three options. One is this. I say this is a, a chicken. Actually, I guess it's supposed to be a rooster. Okay, and Stephen's first option is to say, I believe you. Okay, that's the first option. There must be a chicken because you said there's a chicken. I can't see it. You can, so therefore, it, may, it must be a chicken. Option number two is Stephen says, I can't see, and I'm not sure I believe you. It could be a chicken. It could be a, a hamster. It could be a raccoon. It could be nothing. It could be who knows what. It could be a deck of cards. I don't know. Just because you say it's a chicken doesn't mean it's a chicken. That's option number two. Option number three is that Stephen says, I can see it. I don't need you to tell me what it is, even though he's blind. Those are the three options that we're going to talk about. Okay, and so here's the deal. Thank you, Stephen. You did a great job. <laughs> here's what was going on with Paul, with the Pharisees. When Jesus says... Um, 
if you were blind, you wouldn't really be guilty, but because you say you see, your guilt remains. The thing with Paul, the thing with them was this. Does a blind person know that they are blind? You think about that for a second. I'm not saying they know what they're not seeing. They obviously can't see the, the chicken. But do they know that they can't see? The obvious answer is, in this universe anyway, yes, they know that they are blind. So when Paul or when one of these Pharisees that Jesus is talking about say that they see even though they are blind, then that means that they are removing themselves from the possibility of healing. Why does their guilt remain? Because there's no other option. They have chosen to believe that they can see even though they can't see. And they know that they are rejecting what God has put forward. And here's what it says that, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard for you to, to harm yourself in rebellion. And here's what Jesus says about that. He says, in order for you to be a disciple of his, you have to do what? Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Those two things are, are two sides of the same coin. Picking up your cross daily and following me means this, that the Roman government, um, in order to prove that a citizen had fully 100% submitted to their authority, they would carry, their, the cross was an implement of execution, right? We all know that. In order for the Roman government to prove that somebody had submitted 100% to the Roman government, they would make them carry their own cross to the place of their execution. And it showed the world that you are under our authority. When Jesus said this, it wasn't saying that, you know, you have problems, you need to deal with your problems. What he's saying is, if you want to be my disciple, you have to come under the authority of Jesus willingly, knowingly, knowing that it's only him. It's all him and it's only him. And that's it. And so he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Not by a vague idea that there may be a God, not by trying to be a good person. There's only one way for a person who is blind to become a seeing person, spiritually speaking, that is to submit to Jesus Christ. And what happens in Paul's life is that in this moment, he comes into contact with Jesus. He had been in rebellion. He knew all the prophecies about the Messiah. He knew all the stories about the, the Jesus that had come and everything that the church was doing and, and saying, and he refused to believe it. Absolutely in rebellion to God, he did not want God's plan for the Messiah. He wanted a different plan. And he rejected it. And when Jesus confronts him, what happens is he is now face to face. Jesus makes him physically blind in order to validate and prove that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so for three days, Paul goes and he prays and he fasts. Here's what I think happens here, is that Paul had an option. He had a choice. We, we talk about Paul like God saved him against his will. I don't believe that happened. What happened was Jesus confronted Paul in his sin, 
Paul went and he prayed and he fasted. Fasting means you repent, and it means that you seek God's will. And for three days, it, he tells Ananias, he says, go to Paul, he's praying. I've given him the chance to want to be a seeing person. But he still has to seek the Lord. And why I'm saying this is because when Ananias comes and he heals Paul and the scales drop from his eyes and he receives the Holy Spirit, Paul does not do that of himself. He seeks the Lord, but God is the one who has to make him see. And there are people, try not to be too excited about this, all right? There are people that we think, well, they're just spiritually blind as if there's nothing anyone can do about that. There's nothing that can be said or done, and they're just, they're just spiritually blind. They don't know what they don't know. But I, I understand that human beings are not in a vacuum. We have people in this church who watch online, who hear on the radio, and, and that we connect with on a personal level every single day, who are blind, spiritually blind, they don't know Jesus, and they know that they're blind. And it, I think the scripture kind of gives us this nudge to say, guess what? You can ask to be healed. You can't heal yourself. You, you can't do that. Nobody can save themselves but you can ask. You can want God to give you spiritual vision. You can recognize that you're blind, but you've got to recognize that you're blind. You've got to admit it. You've got to say, there's something I don't understand. There's something I don't get. There's something I don't grasp. There's something in my will that is keeping me from submitting and saying yes to Jesus, and I don't know what to do about it, but guess what? You can ask God to give you spiritual vision. Say, God, would you... Would you drop those scales from my eyes? Would you give me what I can't do for myself? Would you save me from what I can't save myself from? Would you, would you show me? I can't want it, maybe even, but I can want to want it. Once that begins to happen in your heart, then all the rest of it is, is pretty clear. Here's what the Bible says, is that there's another kind of blindness. Okay, There's that spiritual blindness, your eyes don't work, and then there's another kind, which is something that we all suffer from, which is this. If you remove light from your presence, we are all blind. Amen? Doesn't matter how well your eyes work. If you don't have light, you can't see. The Bible says there are three ways that we have light, spiritual light in our, our life. The first is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. First and foremost, you don't have Jesus. He says, if you don't know him, you don't believe in him, he's the way to the Father, that means you're in darkness. You have no way to see everything else. You've got to see everything through Jesus. He is the light by which we see everything else. There's another one. The, uh, Psalm uh, 119 says, your word is a light into my path, a lamp for my feet. And then, this is interesting, Jesus says that uh, you, meaning the church or believers or his disciples, you are the light of the world. 
Isn't that strange? He says he's the light of the world, but then he says you're the light of the world. And I think that there are three different lights that are helping us to, to navigate the path that we're all on. And I'm not going to get into the first two too deeply because I think we all understand if you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the, the scales that drop from your eyes. That's the initial light. That's the light that lights everything else. We need a relationship with Jesus. We need to worship him. We need to talk to him. We need to pray. We need to spend time with him. We need to know him. Secondly, and again, I say this probably almost every single week, we need to know God's word. We need to get into it. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to apply it. We need to, if we don't have God's word, say we have a relationship with Jesus and then we have a relationship with believers, but we don't read God's word then basically we have lights kind of on both sides, but the light to our path, the word of God, if it's not there, then you're going to stumble over a lot of things in your life. You're going to stumble over relationships. We're going to stumble over addictions. You're going to stumble over uh, forgiveness issues. You're going to stumble over the things that you just don't grasp. It's, it is, in one sense, the instruction book for how to live. You need it, Okay. But the third thing, and here's where I really want to spend some time. And you're like, time? I thought we were about done here. <clears throat> you, you and I are the reflective light of Christ in the world. You know that. I, there's so many different things that we need to deal with. One is this. There is a message that goes out from the pulpit and from the teaching and from the Sunday school classes, small groups, and kids clubs, and youth groups, and everything else. There's a message that goes forward that is the message of our church, and that's a, that's a good thing. It needs to be biblical. It needs to be true. It needs to be right, okay? But that message pales in comparison to the message that you and I send out every single day by how we live our life. Because when this church disperses and you and I go into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools, into everywhere that we go publicly, okay, that is the church and that is the light of Christ. Whether we're shining it or not, we are telling people what it looks like or what it means about who Jesus is and what salvation is. And you, you, we think that that's not really my job, it's not really my issue, my responsibility, that's kind of the, the church collectively, yes, but me individually, maybe not so much, but I'm telling you that that is the more important message that goes out from this place. We, um, <laughs> we're a fantastic church. Fantastic church. There's so many authentic, wonderful people who love the Lord and are authentically living for Christ in their everyday life in this church. We are not a perfect church. How come you're not shocked? Here's another thing. I've been in the church my entire life. How many of you have been in the, in the church the, your entire life? Maybe not this one. you're going to have some church scars. Every single person who's been in the church for more than a day, <laughs> more than likely, is going to have some PTSD. The church 
The head of the church is Jesus Christ. That's where perfection ends. The body is not perfect. Your leaders are not perfect. Um, the people who are on your boards and councils and teaching your studies and um, leading different ministries, not perfect. The people that you're sitting with are not perfect. The people who are, are doing the, the volunteering are not perfect. We're, we, we struggle. We have issues. We have hurt feelings. We, we're insecure. We say the wrong thing. We have things that we got to get over and deal with. We sometimes say something offensive unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. The, the, the worship is, can be as, as fantastic as it can possibly be, and sometimes we don't enjoy it. Sometimes we start, I mean, I don't know if you're like me. I, I don't want to ramble here, but there are times when, you know, I go to other places, other churches, and I'm sitting there like a critic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I wish they would have done this, and oh, this song was a little too long, and, you know, I didn't really like the preacher said this. He should have said that, and, and I don't really care for, you know, the way he was dressed today and whatever. And you just kind of start to have these things where you're kind of pointing out every little thing that could be better. And I'm telling you what, that's, a, that's an issue that we're all going to deal with. We're, we're going to have that here. We're going to have it anywhere you go. There's no perfect church. That's okay. And I'm not telling you that so that you'll say, oh, well, our church, we're trying to do the best we can. You know, That's not what I'm trying to get at. I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this issue. You and I, as human beings, are going to reflect in our day-to-day -day life what we really believe about God, about Jesus, about the church, about what it really means to, to see things that, from a spiritual light. And we're going to go into some of these different places that we go into. And some of them are dark places. I mean, some of you work in dark places. You go to school in dark places. You, you go to a home that's not pleasant. What we want to try to do is to encourage you and build you up in your faith and, and get you in a place where you can go into those dark places and be a light. And I want to encourage you that that really is what God wants from you. That's exactly what he wants from you. He wants you to go wherever you go as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And part of how we do that is to actually experience and to practically work out these issues of grace and forgiveness and imperfection and relationships. The only way that we contain or continue in our marriages and our friendships and the relationships we have is not by everybody being perfect, it's by being a grace-filled, forgiving group of people. The only reason I'm still married is because Molly is a very forgiving person. I was, 
I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up, all right, if you don't mind. I was in Walmart the other day, and uh, I don't always think about, you know, how I come across. Do you? I don't always think about that. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. But anyway, this particular day, um, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it, but um, I was in line, and it was, things were slow. Like I got in, I always do this. Every time, without fail, I get in the wrong line. The slowest line, doesn't matter. I, I'm, I'm, I'll switch lines, and that'll be the one that has a problem. Doesn't, every time. I've kind of learned to just pick a line, get in it, and don't worry about it, because it's always going to be that way. I get in line, and it's kind of slow, slow, slow. And I mean, people that were behind me went to another line. They're gone, and it's like, you know how that is. And I'm just relaxed. Like, I don't have anywhere to be. I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to wait, and I'm just going to stay in this line. And so finally, you know, I, it's my turn. I get up there, and I don't know. There's still some issue. Like, my car's not working right or, you know, whatever. The machine is new, and it's kind of having an issue. And so, but I'm just totally patient. I mean, this is out of character for me, I'm telling you. But I'm patient and not worried about it. I'm, I'm kind of chill, whatever. And, you know, the lady behind me, I'm trying to get some cash. Um, and the lady behind me uh, said something about, you know, hey, you want to get some for me? And I'm like, oh, sure, how much do you want, you know? And uh, anyway, and I was just kind of joking around. I didn't know her. And finally, I'm kind of getting things wrapped up. And she's like, uh, are you Pastor Luke? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's Alito. It's not like a, <laughs> I should be that surprised. But I'm, I did not know this lady. And I always try to act like I do know people. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Because, um, I, I, you know, I just think I see a lot of people, and a lot of people see me. So it's whatever. But here's what she said. She said, I watch you online. And I'm like, oh, well, that's very, very nice. You know, I, and uh, I asked her names and, you know, whatever. And it was all fine. But, you know, walking away, I mean, I, I missed an opportunity. One was I should have given her the $50 that we were joking about. That would have been really cool. Um, but uh, that's not really the, the deal. I, the thing was that in that moment, it made me realize that no matter if I'm trying or I'm thinking about it or I'm intentional about it, I am a light. People will recognize one thing or another. If I had been my normal, anybody else have a resting, angry face? It's like, I'm not trying to be mad. I just kind of look that way. But if I'd have been my normal and she said, oh, and maybe she, wasn't, she might not have said anything, but she would have known. The guy that I see preaching and the guy that I saw at Walmart, they're not really the same guy. I'm going to destroy the witness that I have in a moment of impatience. And I'm telling you that if people know that you're a Christian, and they probably do for the most part, 
I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. We're not. We're not going to be perfect. But it is so important that you and I are the light of Christ wherever we go. We think about it. What am I portraying when I go out in public? What am I portraying when I go to work? What am I portraying in school? How am I showing people the reality of Jesus or denying it? Because the world needs more light. Amen? And I just thank the Lord that for whatever reason, he gave me a little extra patience that day. <laughs> and that he reminds me that I got to keep doing that every day. Father, we thank you. Thank you that uh, you are the light. Whatever we do, Lord, we're, we're pointing to you, but we have been called to do that. We've been called to point back to you. We've been called to be ambassadors for you, to shed the light wherever we go, however we can. And it may be simple things. It may just be trying not to, to destroy our witness by being rude or impatient or, or unkind. Um, but Lord, would you help us to remember every step of the way. It's not just about us. Not just about me having salvation or going to heaven. It's about me helping somebody else. Lord, what an opportunity we have. <laughs> In a world that uh, needs to see a difference, Lord, we can be that difference. We pray that we would be the difference, make a difference, but you would fill that with your Holy Spirit and take it so far beyond what we can do for your glory, for people's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got to tell you two things. One is when we come to this moment, and, and if you're not familiar, okay, with our church and you're, this is new to you, we always do an altar call. And an altar call simply means this, that we want to make sure you know you have an invitation to respond to Jesus. That's what this is about. So you don't have to come up here. It's not like there's anything magical about this space. What is important is that you have recognized your need to say yes to God. That's it. And so if that's the first time, God, please remove the scales from my eyes. I want to know you. And you just come as an act of humility to do that. Fantastic. If it's an everyday thing, if you come to the altar every Sunday because you just want to kneel before the Lord and worship, then you're welcome to do that. That's, that is perfectly fine. You, if you never come to the altar, that's fine too. This is your moment to say yes to God. If you want to come here and do it, please do. If you want to do it where you're at, please do. If you want to let us know about it so that we can pray with you or help you along the way, please do. Amen? Let's stand and sing.